0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, good morning. How are y'all doing today? we're we're coming toward the end of the summer. You realize that we got a couple more weeks and. And then we're going to be in the fall so you got kids going back to school and all that whole deal and so uh as we get ready for the fall, uh, I, I often, when the fall, we'll send out a, a ministry update letter. Just in, There's a lot of things going on this fall, a lot of new things I want to share with you, new essentials class, some new staff things, just some exciting news. And uh, So the first week of, of uh, September, I'm going to be sending that out. And, and so we'll send it out via email. And so the reason I'm mentioning it is because if you're here today and we don't have your correct email address, be sure to put that on your card uh, today, get that updated. And if you're a regular here and you never turn in a card because uh, you have nothing new to Say, uh, this would be a good time to turn in a card a couple times because we tell the computer, "Hey, we're going to send this email out to all people who've been here a couple a certain amount of times in this amount of framework and so on." So if you never fill out a card, we just the computer doesn't know, and so uh, it'd be good to turn that in. But uh, exciting, looking forward to the fall. So we're going to be going into our time of teaching now. Y'all ready to go? All right, let's uh, let me pray and we'll jump right in. Father, thank you for what you're doing here at our church and the way you're waking us up and the way you're speaking to us by name, the way you're calling us out, uh, teaching us what it looks like to become uh, a movement of passionate Christ followers. And Lord, today we're uh, once again coming to another important topic about how can we can be people of influence? How can we be part of the movement? How can we help share the message uh, of Christ in a way that influences, impacts people, brings them into a new relationship with you? And so, we pray you'd, you'd be with us, you give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear what you'll say today by your spirit to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, she still couldn't really believe it. Um, the day, you know, had started like, like pretty much any other day. It was morning's coming on, it's time to go to the well. It's noon, she does this every day. Picks up her water jug, heads to the well, and little did she know that that day was going to change her life forever. And so she'd gone. She'd had this conversation. She's on her way back from the well now, and 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 her mind is spinning. Um, she's had a conversation with a man there, and and through the conversation, we've picked up some things about her. We've learned that she's been married five times, that uh, she's currently living with a man who's not her husband. And I uh, mean, of course, Jesus. Um, didn't really care about any of that. Uh, he, he only cared where she was going, didn't care where she'd come from. He made her this incredible offer, something he called living water. He offered to satisfy the deepest thirst of her life. And and so she'd been skeptical of the whole thing until he revealed that he knew everything about her. He knew about the five husbands. He knew about her living with a man. And so this had opened her up to, to a new level of conversation. And at part of the process he shared at the end that, that he actually was the Messiah that they'd been looking for. And, and could it really be? I mean, she's just like blown away. I mean, like, like everyone else in her town, I mean, she'd grown up hearing about someday Messiah had come, but honestly, it felt more like legend than reality. Could it actually happen in my lifetime? And she never thought it would happen this way, that, that it would be outside of her town at that well with her, just one-on-one with the Messiah. Could it be? And so she's wondering, and her mind is racing, and the one thing she knows is she has to get back to the town because this guy is just stopping for lunch, and he's moving on. If he's the Messiah, we don't want to miss it. You know, it's her job to kind of sound the alert in her town. And so when we left them last week, that's where they were, uh, they're the, the right there. And so we're going to leave her there for just a moment. Uh, today we're continuing this series that uh, we've been in the last couple of months. It's called Revealed. For those of you who are brand new, your very first time today, it's a a study of the life and teaching of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers uh, and friends, a man by the name of John who wrote the the Gospel of John. And so today we come to chapter 4, and we're breaking into this conversation. We started this this conversation last week. The the woman, you know, that Jesus is traveling from the south of the country, heading north with his men. They have to go through an area in Samaria. He meets this woman at the well. Uh, They have this conversation. He makes this incredible offer. He shares he's the Messiah. She's pumped up, got to get back into town. And and when we left him last week, um, that's where it is. His men have just come back from town. He had sent them there to get some food because he's hungry. They come back, she's there, uh, and that's where we're picking up the story. All right, so chapter 4 and verse 27. John chapter 4 and verse 27. And so uh, just then, uh, his disciples returned. I remember, like I say, they'd gone into town to get food. He was really hungry. That's how they left him. And so they, they returned, and they're surprised to find him talking with a woman. Now, as we learned last week, Jews, Samaritans don't get along. Uh, he's a man, she's a woman. Normally wouldn't talk alone in that culture. Uh, he's a rabbi, which even makes it worse. And so... They, they can't really figure out like why he'd be talking to her. It just seems so inappropriate, and so. But but no one really wants to be the first to ask Jesus, you know, what like what are you doing, and so who uh, so says? But no one asks them what what do you want or why are you talking with her, and so now on her side she is so pumped up. I mean he's just this living water, this new relationship with God, this whole. You know, in spite of her past, she's loving her, claims to be the Messiah. Could it be? She is so pumped up. She went to the well that day to get water, but now she's so excited she didn't care about the water. She's going to leave her pot there uh, at the well, and she's going to head back into town. I mean, she can't let this guy get away. This would be a disaster if he's the Messiah to let him get away. He was at our town, our well, and no one knew. And so she is uh, kind of booking back to town. And so she leaves her water jar there, verse 28 and the woman went back to the town and she says to the people, "Hey, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could it be that this is the Christ? Could it be he's the Messiah?" Now I'm sure that John is giving us the short version of this story. I'm sure she said more. She, this is the punchline to the story. But I'm sure she's coming back. And you can just picture this, can't you? She's coming back. She's getting a crowd. You you're not going to believe it. It was like noon. I'm walking out there. I'm getting the water. Like, wh- hey, why do you go out there at noon? It's so hot. And it's not part of the story. Just pay attention here. And so, so, uh so I'm going out there, and and, and, then, and this Jew is there, and he asks me, a Jew, why would he ask you for a drink? We don't have any dealings with. I know. Just listen to the story. And so this thing is going on, and he's telling the whole story. He finally gets to the punchline, and she says, and then he knows everything about me. He knows I've been married five times. He knows it's supernatural. It's amazing. And he's claiming to be the Christ. I mean, do you think that's possible? Could, could it be? And so she shares this story. Well, this has really got them interested. And so... Um, uh, so, so she makes her pitch. Now, the, the, the camera's going to cut. We're going we're to quit that scene there. That's the sound of psychar. We're going to cut camera scenes. We're going to switch back, meanwhile, back at the ranch, right? Meanwhile, back with Jesus and his men. So verse 31, uh, meanwhile, his disciples are urging him. Remember, he'd sent them into town to get some food because he's starving. So he comes back. And they're surprised. He's talking with a woman. Don't get that. But hey, whatever. Hey, do you want some food? Got you a Big Mac. Got you some fries. Got you a shake. And, and so he's like, no, I'm not hungry anymore. I'm full. they're like, what? Like, what? Well, this is weird. This is a weird day. And so he says in verse 32, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Like, I've got this private stash. And, and they're like, what? I don't get it. You know, there's no backpack here. Did, like, a, a catering truck come along? We got a roach coach. Like, what's going on? <laughs> and so and so Jesus has an opportunity to kind of pull back the window to his soul and to show him what really motivates him, what feeds him in his life. And uh, we're going to look at this a lot next week. It's going to be a major talk next week. But today, just a little preview. He says, uh, he says my food, um, that, well, the, the disciples in verse 33 like, wait a second, um, they, they say to each other, notice they're not afraid, they're not really comfortable asking him, but uh, could someone have brought him food? You know, maybe the lady, maybe someone else. And he says, my food, he said, that which drives me, that which energizes me, that which sustains me, empowers me, motivates me, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, to kind of do, do what he sent me to do, my father sent me to do, and to finish his work. And he says, and frankly, that work is, is games on. And it's happening, it's right here, it's right now. He's just so pumped about this conversation he's had with this woman, he's lost his appetite. Uh, have you ever been there? You're just so excited, you can't eat. You, you were starving, but now something happens, oh, who cares about food? And that's what's happening. He, yeah, he was starving, but now he's just like, oh, he's feeding on this other thing. He's just excited about the conversation with the woman. He knows that this town is coming, she's gonna bring him back. Hey, game's on, guys, uh, so it's not time for lunch. You know, it's not time for eating. And so he's going to use this uh, this harvest metaphor. Remember, it's agricultural. He's going to say, hey, it's harvest time. It's not time to eat. It's time to harvest. And so he says uh, in verse 35, he says, do you not say? He says, don't you have a saying? Um, you know, they have all these agricultural sayings because agricultural culture. Uh, do you not say, hey, four months more and then the harvest? He says, you know, you guys all have a saying. Um Four months more, and then the harvest. Like, in other words, you plant, you plant the seed, and there's not a whole lot you can do. You just let that seed grow for the next four months, and then after four months, you harvest it. So it's kind of a way of saying, hey, we just need to wait and be patient. You know, four months more, and then the harvest. He says, but um, I tell you, open your eyes. Like, wake up and look at the fields. Use your mind's eye. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Something big is happening right now. And uh, even now, the reaper, the one who uh, gathers the grain, in other words, the reaper, he draws his wages. He's getting paid. Even now, he harvests the crop for eternal life. Hey, there's about to be some people that are going to cross the line from death to life today. It's not time to eat. (laughs) I'm not hungry. I've got food to eat you don't know about. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, here's another agricultural saying, thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. And of course, this is, this is how planting works, right? You, you might have a field and you might hire some guys to come and plant the field. Uh, they might be a different crew that comes months later and reaps the crop. And this is the way agriculture works. You know, it's just, you might have someone plant, someone reaps. And he says, that's what's going on here in this situation. He says, I sent you to reap, what you have not worked for. Jesus, remember at the start of his ministry, he said, I'm sending you guys out. In the next two or three years, we're going to see a lot of people cross the line from death to life. You're going to reap. and then this, In the next couple of days, you're going to see a lot of people come to know me, give their lives to me. It's going to be amazing. They said, I want, you to, I want you to understand something. It's not because you're such incredible reapers. It's because a long time ago, there were people in these people's lives planting seeds. You see, this is the way a harvest works. Uh, you plant seeds, you let time and nature and God do its thing, they become plants, then there comes a time for reaping. He says, in your ministry, next two or three years, you're going to be doing a lot of reaping. But don't ever think it's because you're such a great reaper. People, other people have done the hard work. They've been planting seeds. Like, like what other people? Uh, Abraham? Isaac? Jacob, David, Isaiah, maybe John the Baptist recently, other people in their lives that we might not even know about. And so he uses this analogy, and he says, uh, verse 38, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. And so anyway, so many of the Samaritans from that town, they, they believe in him because of the woman's testimony he did. Uh, he told me everything I ever did. So there's some people who, in this town, they, they decide Jesus is the Messiah based on her testimony alone. They're what I call the early adopters. You know, they, they, there's always some people that come to Jesus easier. Uh, they, they get whatever evidence or proof they need, and it's like, that's good enough for me? He's got to be the Messiah? Boom, I'm in. There's other people a little slower on the draw, you know, need a little bit more evidence for this. And so there's some who believe just based on her testimony or story. Um, and so when those Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed for two days. So these early adopters, they came out, hey, would you just stay with us? Now remember what a big deal this is because Samaritans and Jews don't get along. They, they don't, they're, not, they're not allowed in the same area. So to invite him to stay with them for two days was a big deal. So these early adopters, they invite him to stay, and then uh, – Verse 42, and they said to the woman that we no longer believe, or uh, verse 41, and because of his words, then many more became believers. So early adopters buy in, invite him to stay. He teaches for a couple days. Many more decide he's the real deal. I'm buying in. They become believers based on his teaching. And then 42, they said to the woman, we no longer (laughs) believe just because of what you said. Uh, Now we've heard for ourselves and, and we know, we're convinced that this man, he really is the savior of the world. This, this guy's the real deal. Um, and, and that he's the Messiah. And it's not just the Messiah of the Jews. He's the Messiah for the whole world. And, and, uh, and that includes us Samaritans, you see. Okay. So, amazing story of what happens when one person gets a hold of a little of the water of life. You know what happens when one person meets Jesus and begins to experience life change and transformation, and, and how powerful it is. And as their life changes, it launches movement. It's like the, when when Jesus gets a hold of one life, it goes into the pebble. It's like a pebble into the pond, and there's a ripple effect. And we get to see this ripple effect. She comes to Christ, one person, and then she says, come and see, the whole town begins to investigate. By the time it's done, just all kinds of people in this town are coming to Christ. And so it's an amazing story of how people come to Christ. And it's got some great lessons for us in the role that we can play as Christ followers in unleashing this movement. Uh, How do we help people come to Christ? So the topic today is sharing Christ. But before we jump into the next section, um, I want to say just a couple introductory things about this, right? Um, Here's my hunch. My hunch is that for some of you, when you walked in today, you got your program, you sit down, you look at the topic, sharing Christ. Your first response is, bummer. Oh, I know what he's gonna do. He's gonna tell us we need to be talking to people at the checkout counter. Uh, We're gonna need to be going door to, I'm gonna feel so bad. I'm gonna leave feeling so guilty. I know how this is. I know I should be more bold and I'm not and oh, I'm just gonna get beat up. And he's gonna tell us how in his life, how when he goes on planes, he shares Christ, the whole row comes to Jesus. And, and, And then, you know, the stewardess are kneeling in the aisles what must I do to be saved? And then I save some more peanuts, you know, free. Uh, and uh, can we improve the lunch? You know, it's a little stale. You know, and I know he's going to be sharing these amazing stories, and they're going to be impressed because he's like God's man and, and the man for the hour. And, and, and we're just going to come out feeling like, oh, I can't do this, and I'm not very good. We're going to get beat up. I mean, the only thing worse than a message on sharing Christ is, is like a message on tithing, right? And so you're like, oh, I should have gone to Disneyland. Why did I turn him down? I gosh, you know, Scott's at Disneyland. I should have gone with him. Um, and so here, here's, what, here, here's the good news. Is that as we come to this story today, uh, this is a powerful story about um, uh, everyday people like you and I can have influence. Um, you know, in, in my life, uh, th- this may surprise you, um, but, but I do not have the gift of evangelism. Um, like I, I've got gifts of leadership, I've got gifts of teaching, I've got gifts of wisdom. I do not have the gifts of evangelism. And, and this has really been a problem for me over my life. Um, because I, like I grew up in a church that there were certain things you did if you were serious about following Jesus. Like one thing was is you go to church every week. Probably Sunday night, so, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's a true believer. Um, uh, the, so what else do we do? In, in our church, if you are serious about following Jesus, you had a daily quiet time. You're going to read the Bible. You're going to pray, right? If you're serious about following you may serve somewhere, but you definitely tithe. Uh, if, you're, if you're serious, you're going to tithe. And then um, and then what else? Oh, If you're serious about following Jesus, you are going to share Christ on a regular basis. You're going to be a witness. And the way that was defined was that you're going to have these kind of spontaneous conversations uh, all over town, you know, school or whatever, just with people you usually don't know, and you're going to give a brief conversation. Uh, find a way to introduce the message of Jesus, share the plan of salvation, uh, have them fall on the knees, uh, pray to receive Christ, and and then you know, and, and then go on your way. This can be a normal routine of your life. And so, so I grew up like kind of buying into this and really trying to do this, um, and it just didn't really work very well. Like I. Uh, I didn't have the gift of evangelism. Uh, I was very shy growing up, very introverted. And so. But I took it seriously, and I worked really hard at this. Uh, I, I, I took lessons. I took courses. I forced myself to do this. Um, and it just did not work. It was just so awkward. A- and I just alienated people wherever I went, <laughs> pretty much. Um, I remember when we were first married, when I first married, and I was working as a forklift operator. Uh, in a medical warehouse. So pretty tough dudes, you know, pretty rough crowd. And, uh, and so I wanted to be an influencer of Jesus. They all knew I was a, a Christ follower. They all, they all knew that. And uh, I remember one day reading this story about this famous evangelist named D.L. Moody. Have any of you ever heard of D.L. Moody? Yeah, okay, a lot of you have. Famous back in the 30s, and uh, uh, 1930s I think it was. Anyway, so he made this commitment in his life that every day he was going to share Christ with at least one person. And uh, of course, he's evangelist, a gift evangelist. So um, one night he goes to bed late at night. He's about, you know, rolling over, about ready to go to sleep. And all of a sudden he realizes that he has not shared Christ within him. So in that day, so he gets out of bed, gets dressed, goes downtown Chicago, shares Christ a, Christ. a guy gives his life to Christ, his life is changed. And I read this story and I'm so pumped up. Like, that's going to be me. That's going to be me. And so I make this commitment that I'm going to do that every day. I mean, it lasted for two weeks. And in two weeks' time, I alienated my whole apartment complex, <laughs> my whole job site, you know. I can't tell you the, the, the response of four-letter words, you know, for my job, <laughs> these guys on the job, you know. Hey, you want to talk? Hey, everyone talked to you about Jesus, blankety-blank-blank. Blank. You know, it's like, whoo, I guess not. And uh, <laughs> And I think for a lot of us, this is the images that come up when we think about sharing Christ. This is kind of a, okay, this meet a stranger, share it. And so as a result, not only do we not do it, but as a result, we we go through life feeling like failures. You know, like there's something wrong with us. And and so the the incredible thing about this story is that this story has some great lessons to teach us about how to increase our influence for Christ, just being who we are, you know? Let me say this. Uh, Some of you, have the gift of evangelism, and it's a beautiful gift. Joel and I were talking about this week. He was talking about a, a buddy of his in, in college. They went out to dinner one night, and this guy just so naturally he's just kind of sharing uh, a conversation with someone, just kind of work Christ into it. he got to share the message. It's just a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing in action. If you've got this gift, and here's what I want to say. If you've got this gift, man, we need you to be using this gift because uh, uh, you're like the Navy SEALs of Rocky Peak. You know, it's like you're, you're like out there, you know, just you're taking new ground, and, and, and so it's a beautiful thing. But how do you know if you have this gift? Well, I'll tell you some re- number one, it's incredibly easy for you to talk about spiritual things with non-believers. Number two, you do it in a really winsome way. You don't alienate people. And number three, people come to Christ, you know. I- I've met a lot of people who think they have this gift, and they don't have the gift, trust me. They just go around, I'm a jerk for Jesus. Woo, you know, alienating people wherever. But I'm bold, I'm bold. It's like, you know, you're just, you're just turning people off. You know, it's like it's not effective. So if you got the gift, awesome. But for the rest of us who maybe don't, and in this culture that's so skeptical today, often these stereotypes, this woman gives us some powerful lessons about how people just like you and I, who just love Jesus, we're growing in our life, how we can, God can use us in, in, in powerful ways to help people come to know him. All right? So let's jump in. And let's see, there's a, a section there in your note sheet that's called uh, Sharing Christ, Five Lessons from Sychar. Of course, Sychar is this little town that she was at. And so let's jump in. First, first lesson, number one. Uh, the first thing. If we're going to share Christ effectively, is never count anyone out. I think that's the first. Thing. You know, I don't know about you, but but sometimes you go through life and there's certain people that you just see as, oh, they would be a good candidate, you know. <laughs> and there's other people you meet and you go, no, nah, not so much. I don't think so. I can't really pick. And we even say stuff like this, don't we? Oh, they would make such a good Christian. <laughs> you mean like you mean an actor. Oh, he he makes such a good Christian, and, you know. And so, but the fact of the matter is, uh, what happens is that when we look at people in categories like good candidate, bad candidate, what happens is that we change the way we present ourselves uh, to them. Uh, we change the way we relate. We're more open to the one. We're more likely to have relationship with the one the other. We're quicker to pray for the one than the other. We're, uh, uh, we're m- looking for opportunities with the one. And so we change the way we, we react. And the, the fact of the matter is we have no idea who's going to come to Jesus or not. Um, like some of you here, you're just shocked that you came to Jesus, right? Some of you here, you, the last thing you believed is that you would become a Christ follower, Right? And looking at some of you, it's, you know, we're shocked just looking at you. <laughs> but, and I won't be looking at any one location, right? Just kind of keep, keep the eyes moving, Mike. Keep them moving. Don't saddle. No, no eye contact is pointing the message. And so we're shocked too. Anyway, now in this story, great illustration of that. Here, here's the, the disciples of Jesus. They come back. Here's Jesus talking to this woman. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, she was in the wrong box. She was an unlikely candidate. And you get it, right? She's a Samaritan. We don't even get along with Samaritans. Uh, she's, uh, she's living with a guy. She's been married five times. Obviously not interested in, in spiritual things, you know? She's a cultist. She today would be like a Jehovah's Witness, kind of believes certain things about God but not other things, you know? It's like everything about her said she is a bad candidate. And yet Jesus just kind of blows through that, establishes relationship. She comes to and through her, the whole town comes. Do you realize that some of the people that are the most unlikely candidates, that when they come to Christ, they're going to bring a whole circle of people that we could normally not touch here at this church? They're going to open up a whole new field for us of people we could never touch except through them. And that's what happened this day. And Jesus, he doesn't he doesn't write her off. I, I remember uh, when Lynn and I were first married; uh, we'd just been married a few years, and she took a, a job up in, Orange, in down in Orange County. Uh, used to be up in Orange County. Now it's down in Orange County. Um, and uh, as a labor and delivery nurse, and she's a young nurse, and she met this other young nurse there that uh, was uh, just hard living, partier, kind of raunchy, uh, just very kind of out there, you know, in the world uh, type person, and uh, and she she really liked Lynn, and they became friends, you know, like, you know, birds of a feather, and, uh, and just kidding, Lynn, just kidding, just kidding, yeah, and uh, uh, Lynn got saved then, and we, we you know, it, it really helped our marriage, um, anyway, um, and so she really liked Lynn, and, and so she hanging out with Lynn, and they couldn't have been more different, but they they became friends, and and, of course, she meets, as she's finding out, she finds out Lynn's husband is a pastor. And she just thinks that's hilarious <laughs> that she's friends with someone whose husband's a pastor. She's, well, she had such a reputation at hospital, this lady did, uh, for uh, just the, you know, raunchiest, dirtiest jokes. So all the doctors would save them up for her. So they meet her in the aisle, you know, like down the hallway. They go, Oh, Sue, I got a new one for you. And they tell her this, like, really raunchy, dirty joke. And Sue just loved it. She'd be walking around with Lynn. And and once they get to the the punchline, they're laughing hysterically at this raunchy joke. She'd say, Oh, I want you to meet my friend, Lynn. Her husband's a pastor. (laughs) And they would just, oh, go in shock. (laughs) And she just thought this was great fun. So she just loved, like, bringing Lynn along. You know, lining up another doctor. Hey, you got anything new? Oh, yeah. You're, you know, this whole deal. But, you know, several months, several months into that uh, relationship, uh, she pulls Lena aside one day. And she says, you know, there's there's something. a piece that you have in your life I don't have in my life. It, can, you, can you tell me, like, what, like, where does that come from in your life? And Lynn was really smart. She didn't back up the dump truck and dump truck and a load of Jesus on her. You know what I'm saying? She just kind of said, hey, you know, just light touch. Uh, you know, all, all I can think of is, this is my relationship with, with Jesus has changed my life. And, and I think that's it. And, and then she wanted to know more. And within a few weeks, she called us and she became a Christ follower. And and, uh, at least like a candidate, she's living with a guy at the time. He's an alcoholic. When he drinks, he gets abusive. She calls us one day because she doesn't immediately move out because she's kind of figuring that stuff out. And, And so one day she calls us. He'd gone crazy on a drunken binge, broken the glass table in her house. She's fearing for her life. We said, come live with us. So she moves in with us. And so it was so awesome those first few weeks and months of her following Jesus because we'd be doing Bible studies and sharing stuff. And when lights would go on, she'd get so excited and she'd start swearing. It would be awesome. Yeah? We're like, you're reading and you're teaching and she's going, oh, blankety, blank, blank, so awesome. And we're like, I think the Lord understands what you mean. You know, it's just sort of like, it's just kind of, ooh, you know. Like God's up there, and Gabriel's up there. Uh, what she means is uh, in the Greek. Uh, that means praise the Lord, you know. and uh, But you know what? Like we never know, right? You never know. And so what God calls us to do is just to enter into a real relationship with people, love them, build connections, and then just see what God does. We never count anyone out. That's what the disciples did, and they almost missed an amazing, amazing uh, story. Okay, number two. The, the second thing we need to do is never underestimate the power of your story. You know, I think one of the things that keeps us from but being more vocal uh, or being more open about what Jesus has done in our life is is deep inside we often have a fear that if they know I'm a Christ follower, they're going to start asking me questions, and I don't have answers. You know, they may ask me about evolution or what. I thought all paths lead to God, or I, you know, uh, uh, you know what's this thing? You know, they're going to ask us tough questions, and we don't know the answers. And so there's a temptation uh, just to be quiet. And I'm not talking about not sharing our faith, but just even quiet about, hey, I was at life group last night, or church was awesome this week, or just kind of the normal things we'd share in our life. And here's the thing: is that uh, I I believe that as Christ followers, we need to get better at having answers for people. There's no question about this. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle Peter says this. He says that we need to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us, catch that, asks us for the reason why we're a Christ follower. And so the longer we, we grow, we should have answers for people. And, and so later this year, you know, the, within this year, we're, one of our essentials, new essentials courses we're creating is going to be on how to share Christ in a way that fits your personality. We have the right answers for people. And so, so we're going to get better. As a church, we need to get better. And we are going to get better. We're going to design course, and we're going to learn to get, and we're get better. Okay? But having said that, here's the thing. I want you to understand that we don't have to wait until we have all the answers before we share our story. Uh, we, we don't have to have it all together. Um, because your story is powerful. Like, like if Jesus has come into your life, or maybe in a Christian a long time, and he's changing your life, if Jesus is in your life, he's teaching you how to live. He's made your life better. That is a powerful influence, even if you don't have any answers to their questions. There's a credibility that comes with that if it's a true story. And we need to be quicker uh, not to underestimate the, the value of that. And that's what this woman did in this story. You know, she had a lot going against her. She did not have a stellar reputation in this town. Uh, she was probably the gossip piece of the town, you know, frankly. And, uh, and yet she turned that into a strength. Um, she, she had just met Jesus she didn't have all the theological answers she didn't have all the Bible down and all that kind of stuff but she came back and all she did is said man I, I met a man who, has, who told me everything I did he, and he offered me this, and he just shared her story this is her story and that's all it took you know? and, and so the people said great well let us go meet him for ourselves and then they met Jesus for themselves and he could take it from there and so many times we think we have to have the answers for everything, and it's not that way uh, that just the power of our story alone uh, is, is such a powerful thing. And you know what? Uh, we don't have to have an amazing story either. Sometimes we think that we have to in have this way has an amazing story. You know, she'd go on the Christian circuit. You now I was married five times, I was you know living with a man, and then she would have a great story and lots of times in Christian circles, we think we have to have a great story like we'll bring someone in like when I was growing up there's always, always putting someone on the stage as a great story. you know it's like, well, I was a drug addict, and uh, I was riding with the hell 's angels, and I killed nine people, and I was in prison and and I, I ran a drug ring on the side, had a prostitute thing going here. And, and then Jesus came in, and he changed my life. And we're like, wow, you know, it's amazing. And I, I remember as a kid growing up thinking, like, I don't have a story. Like, I need to go mess up some, so I get a story. because <laughs> How can I really influence anyone for Jesus? I don't have a story. And uh, but here's the thing. If you're a growing Christ follower, now that's an if. If you're a, gross, uh, a growing Christ follower, You have a story. And it doesn't have to be amazing. It just has to be true. (laughs) You see? Like, like for example, uh, maybe your story is that your marriage was on the rocks and God brought you to this church and here your life has changed. Maybe that's your story. Uh, Maybe your story is that uh, you... Uh, grew up in a Christian home, but it never really clicked for you, but you went to college and you met some people there that had a different kind of relationship with Jesus and it just changed your life. It's never been the same. Maybe that's your story. Maybe your story is you went through a time of loss you went through a divorce uh, you went through a loss of a child, a loss of health, but somehow God met you and strengthened you and gave you the power to come through that time. That's your story. Maybe your story is totally different. You are a very successful executive, and you're 45 years old, and you made a ton of money, and you rose in the company, but there was an emptiness in your life, and and, and somehow God came in, and he's filled that, and you've got meaning and purpose. You see, we've all got a story. It doesn't really matter what your story is. It's just got to be true. And and, and here's what I'm convinced is that people in the world today, they're not looking for perfect people. (laughs) They're not looking for people that have all the answers. You know, sometimes as Christ followers, we think we have to be the perfect witness. Always be up. Always be happy. Make sure every Facebook entry has a Bible verse. You know, working Jesus into every conversation. Hey, that's not what people are looking for. They're looking for people who are real, who are honest, who are authentic. Yeah, we still have issues we're working through, but God has made a difference in my life, and this is how he's changed me. And i tell you what, there's going to be people that say, really? Tell me more. You see? And when they tell us more, we just share our story, and that's what this woman does. Never underestimate the power of your story. Because it's true, and it's evidence. It's compelling evidence. Are, are you with me? It is compelling evidence that maybe Jesus is real. It's compelling evidence. Okay? All right, next one. Where are we at, three? Okay, three. Never devalue the power of an invitation. Now, when I was growing up, I'm sorry i got to work through my issues with you all Here. But uh, when I was growing up, um, you know, this was, like I said, uh, what Christians do, you share the message of Jesus. Uh, you're able to share with a stranger in a short amount of time, weave the conversation around, um, uh, let them know that God has a wonderful plan for their life and that they are a sinner and they're separated from God and that they need Christ uh and uh, that if they give their life to Christ and pray this prayer, that they will be forgiven, enter into a new relationship. And you need to be very good at that. And that, that's kind of a mark, a mark that you're a m- mature Christ follower. And often in my setting, at least, it was often devalued just inviting people to church. It often kind of, That's sort of a cop-out. Like, like anyone can do that. You, know, you need to be able to share your faith and lead someone to, to pray the sinner's prayer on, in the aisle at the grocery store. That's it. You know, that's what you need to do. And so there was a devaluing of invitation. But here's what I want you to catch in this story. It's exactly what this woman does. She goes back into town, she tells her story, and then she doesn't try to convince them that Jesus is the Christ. She just raises the issue. She says, could it be, kind of Columbo style, could it be, do you think, really? I don't know, what do you think? I need your opinion, I'm not sure. Um, Could it be that he is the Christ? Why don't you come and see? They're like, okay. And then when they got there, they met Jesus, and he convinced them. You see? Often it's so simple as that. I believe in our culture today, a very skeptical culture, a million wrong stereotypes about what it means to be a Christian, that one of the most effective ways that we can bring people to Christ is just say, come and see. Just come and see. It's so different than what you think. And you bring them to the body of Christ where they experience the presence of Christ in the body of Christ. And they experience worship and they come through the doors and they sense the presence of God. And the tears begin to come and they don't even know what's going on with them. They, just don't, they don't even know what's going on, but something is here. And I see it happening over and over again. You know, every month we have these welcome desserts at our house. We're going to be calling them Next Step Desserts. And it's for people that are new to Rocky Peak. And so every month, I have a, a, a new group of people that come in. And I always ask them the uh, same question. How would you first come to Rocky Peak? Why would you come the first time? And why would you come back? And almost every month, there are several, not one. There are many people every month who their story is that someone invited them to come and see. They haven't been in church since they were 12 years old. Uh, they grew up. There's a common one. I grew up Catholic, you know, Christmas and Easter, um, but uh, you know, just never really meant. And I kind of kicked the traces a long time ago. Or I've never. This last last week, I had 23 people at my house. 23 new people at my house. And and you know, one of the ladies there was in her 60s before coming here. Said I'd only been to church twice in my life. Didn't understand a thing. And you know, and she and her thing was. I, um, at first I was really confused because I didn't I thought Jesus and Christ were two different people. I didn't really understand that they were the same person. Like why does he have two names? And so uh people that are really new don't really get it. And it's you know, brand new checking Jesus out and every month, and here's what they say. They say, I don't know how to explain it, but they invited me and I came because this is going to my life, and I came and I came in, and it, it wasn't what I expected. It was like the the music, you know, wow, unbelievable. It's like this is great music. And and it's like connect with that. And then, and then um, and then the teaching started and I, I actually understood it. I've never been in church before I understood it. And it felt like like the person was just talking to me and things were getting clear. And I, I just felt I can't explain it. It just it draws me. And then and then uh, I, and they just kind of and, and then it was so casual and it was just like it just blew my mind. And what's happening is God's meeting them. And what happened is that someone in their life said, I don't know, Messiah, could be. I don't know. Why don't you come and see? (laughs) like, okay, okay. And so then they come on in and then Jesus meets them. And he does the convincing. And they're like, I don't know what's going on. Something's happening here. My life's changing. I can't, I, I can't, I've only missed one week in the last eight and I podcasted that because something's going on in my life and I can't, I don't really know. And At least these conversations are coming to Christ. And so here's the point: never devalue the power of an invitation. In our culture today, this is how it's often going to work. You're going to love people. You have real relationship. You're honest. You're real. You're genuine. You just share your life as you would with anyone else. Let me tell you, if you're doing that, I promise you that sooner or later people are going to say, they're not going to ask you, hey, what must I do to be saved? They're going to say this. They're going to say little things like, that's the life group. Like, what do you guys do there? Like, I don't really, you mentioned that. So they're going to be real light touch, like they don't even care. Like, they don't even want to know. They're just a little bored, just curious. But what they're really doing is, I want to know more about this God thing, but I don't want to tell you that because I'm afraid you're going to back up the truck and dump it on me. <laughs> so I'm just going to throw this out. Like, what's this life group? Or, you're kind of religious, aren't you? Or, you know, I've never really been to church since I was 12. Or they're just going to test the waters. They just want a little bit of information. And all it takes for us to change a life forever is to say, yeah, I, I love my church. It's real different. What well, you might expect, blah, 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 blah. Here's what I like it. Here, you, you want to come, I'd love to have you come. And that's all it takes. And they're going to come, and they're going to admit Jesus, and he's going to do the convincing. Never devalue the value of invitation. Number four. Number four is never forget the power of seeds. In this story, Jesus uses a powerful analogy of how people come to Christ. It's a farming analogy. It's a farming analogy. He says, some people sow seeds, other people reap seeds. Don't get a big head when God uses you to reap someone. There's others who have gone before you and done the hard work. So what Jesus is saying is that when people come to Christ, it's often the result of a long process in their life. Now we often don't see it that way because the kind of testimonies we highlight are often the more dramatic ones where someone's kind of minding their own business, someone shares Christ, they come to church, boom, they give their life to Christ, it's all changed overnight. And so we often think this is how it happens, but the reality is usually when people come to Jesus, it's over a process. It might be a long process, and often we don't even realize the process until after we become a Christian. You look back, and then you look back, and you can see, oh, here's all these connections. There was this, 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 uh, there was this sunny school teacher when I was five years old and planted a seed. And then when I was in junior high, uh, I had this one friend. I thought all Christians were dorks, but this one friend was just the coolest guy. We used to ride bikes. We used to ride bikes and do dirt biking together. And he, and he was really, like, just a cool guy. And he was a Christian, that kind of. And then in, in college, I met this one person. I was going through a hard time. And they reached out to me and helped in some things. And then we, we got married and we lost our first child. Their neighbors, they were, they reached out to us. They brought us meals. They just offered. They were there. Never tried to push you. We knew they are Christian. And now at 35 years old, someone invites me to Rocky Peak and and I don't know what happens but God hits me and and I've become a Christ follower, now I can look back over my whole life and I can see these stepping stones. It was was a seed planted at five, it was a seed planted at junior high, it was a seed planted in college, it was right here when we lost, you see what I'm saying? This is how it works when people come to Jesus that there's usually a chain of events, there's a series of stepping stones that leads to someone. Jesus said it's like this, one plants, one harvest, Four months in between, it's a process. Now here's the point for us, is that when you meet someone and you're friends with someone, you never know at what stage of the process you're in. You may be the person that gets to watch them get harvested and come to Christ and life change. You may be the person who's starting their journey, the very first seed. And so what we need to do is just not undervalue the, the value of seeds, just that your job may be not to bring a person all the way to Christ. Your job may just to get them to the next step. They're an atheist. And your job assignment from Jesus is just to help them move to, well, maybe there could be a God. That's the step. Their job is, right now, they are hostile to Christians. They think all Christians are horrible, awful, And now you're the first Christian they've ever met that they like, they can relate to, that has integrity, that cares about people, that's just really living it out. And you've just broken their paradigm. They can no longer say that all Christians are. They've met one who isn't. And and your job is to get them from the totally hostile to the little less hostile. That was your assignment. You see? You, You understand what I'm saying here? And so, so never undervalue uh, or forget the power of seeds, that when God puts us in situation, our job description is that you love people, you connect with people, you care about people, you respond to them as they ask questions, and you just kind of do the next thing and then see what God does. Never, Never devalue that. Now, number five. The last, uh, the last step is to make the most of every opportunity. We've had, we've had four nevers. Let's throw in an always. We're going to always make the most of every opportunity. Now, I've said this before, but I want, to, I want to drive this into the psyche of our church, all right? I want to drive this in. That once a man or woman becomes a follower of Jesus, you become a member of his movement that's been going on since he came. It's worldwide and throughout history. And as a member of his movement, every one of us has a responsibility to advance the message and the movement of Jesus wherever we are 24-7, wherever you are. You know, you're a contractor. You're an attorney. You work at Starbucks. You're in a relationship with uh, your family. You've got extended relatives. You're in a community. Uh, You go to the grocery store. You buy cups of cotton. Wherever you go, you are a representative of Jesus Christ. And you're on the clock 24-7 to try to make the most of every opportunity, sometimes big, sometimes small. You know, this morning, before I came to church, I, I went out for breakfast. I do this every Sunday morning. There's a, a, a restaurant in see me. I go to order the same thing every time. Uh, it's one of those places you go to the front, you place your order, they bring it out to you. So they see me coming. By the time I'm at the cash register, they got it going, uh, and her name's Barbara. Barbara's got it going for me. She's like, "Okay, uh, you know, got the oatmeal, got the extra brown sugar, got the uh, hot tea, uh, American breakfast tea, right? Got it. You got it. Five eighty-two every week. Boom." <laughs> and uh, and it's a couple weeks ago, I went in. By the time I got up there, she's like, "You know, have your credit card. It's all done." And um, and so over the last many months or whatever, uh, I'm building a relationship with Barbara. You know, it's just, I, I got her name down, Barbara, I always hey Barbara. And I know she's, she's married. She's got a little boy. He's about six. I got, went to Magic Mountain not too long ago with her, her, uh, her, her husband. And, um, and so we're just building a little bit of relationship. Now, Gabby, she brings me my oatmeal every week. She brings that to my table. And, uh, and so I'm getting her. I know her schedule. I know how many hours a week she works. Um, uh, we just had little conversations. And I'm just always looking for ways to connect with these people because I see them way. Anyway. Is there a way I can connect with them? Because sooner or later, they're going to find out that I'm a Christ follower. And when that comes, I want it to surprise them, right? I, I want it to like, wow, I kind of like him. You know, it's, it's good. So, so so I'm just working. Sure enough, about three weeks ago, it's been going on for months. Gabby brings me my oatmeal, and I always work on my message. I always go over my message uh, Sunday morning, just kind of pull it out, haven't looked at it since Saturday night, just pull it out, flip through, remember what I'm supposed to say. And so um, Gabby comes out and she says, What's that you're working on all the time? She's a real introverted person. What's that? But, but she finally kind of breaks through. Uh, that you're working on? I said, oh, you know, pastor at a church, and I I get to teach, you know, every weekend, so I'm just kind of looking over my my notes just going before I go teach. Really, what church is that? Oh, it's a church at Rocky Peak. You've probably seen it. It's on the 118, two cross up the hill. Oh, I've seen that church. Her manager's walking by. Oh, is that a nice church? (laughs) No, no. uh, (laughs) Kind of sucks, but... Pays the bills, pays the bills, and uh, got my resume out. I've been looking, but nothing's come up. And uh, just, just kind of a funny question, you know. It's a nice church. No, I hate it, but I'm pastor. Yeah. Uh, I said, yeah, yeah, it's it's a nice church. She says, well, I, I always wondered about the church. Maybe I'll try it sometime. Oh, I'd love to have you. That'd be awesome. We'd love to have you. See, you see what I'm saying? We're, We're on. Every time we walk into Starbucks, we make we drink. Every time we go to a cash register. Every time we go to, we're, we're on the clock. We're representing, now catch this, I don't mean we're on the clock like we're fake Pollyanna. <coughs> <laughs> Woo, I'm a Christ follower, I'm never down. I got the joy of the Lord. You know, well, I was reading the Wall Street, Journal, Wall Street Journal, yep, reminds me of Ecclesiastes, you know, 3-3, three, three, you know. <laughs> There's a time for everything. The market's up, the market down, you know, and the end of the world's coming. Did I ever tell you about Jesus, you know? Uh, no, no, no. I'm just saying we make the most of the opportunity. We, we're just loving people. We go through life loving people, connecting with people, caring, and then making them. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. Look there, chapter uh, 4 of, of Colossians. He says, um, be wise. In the way you act toward outsiders. I'll be wise. Uh, make the most. Uh, towards people who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Notice what he says. He doesn't say try to drive a truck through a small hole. He says make the most. Sometimes opportunity is big. Hey, it's just, I found out. Her name's Barbara. She's got a little boy. Hey, next week. Hey, how'd that trip go to Magic Mountain with your son? Did you have a good time? Oh, yeah, I went, dot, 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 dot. That's all it is, making the most of the opportunity, just trying to connect. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Full of what? Grace. Grace. Not full of condemnation, not full of irritation, full of grace. Winsome, seasoned with salt, make it tasty so that you may know how to answer Now, the catch is, this is exactly what the disciples didn't do that day. Um, They come back from lunch. To them, Sychar was a rest stop on the road to real ministry. To them, uh, it's a place to go get some McDonald's, come back, use the bathrooms, you know, get a big gulp, whatever, back on the road to real ministry up in Galilee in the north. These people, nope, they are not coming to Christ. These are Samaritans, right? We're not making the most of this opportunity, but Jesus, he makes the most of the opportunity whole, and a whole, whole city comes. And so in our lives, you know, you're, you're out there. You're out there. Uh, you're on the job. You're in the community. You're, you're coaching little league teams. You're playing on softball teams. You're, you're, you're going to school. You're, you're, uh, you're in your neighborhoods. And, and Paul says, hey, you just, this is how a movement works, A movement works when you just love people, you connect, you make the most opportunity, and then one life touches another life and opens up things, and the movement of Jesus goes on. So make the most of every opportunity. Let's pray. Father, (coughs) thank you so much for uh, what you're doing at our church and the way you are waking us up, calling us on, teaching us what it looks like to unleash a movement of passionate, Christ followers, And we know that a big part of that is, is sharing the message of Christ, not in an artificial way, not in a way that's trying to irritate people or it's inauthentic, but just loving people, being in real relationship, sharing our lives when they ask, answer, invite, so on. We pray, God, that you would unleash a movement here. We pray you'd use us to unleash a movement. We pray that you would teach us how to leave the old messages of our behind just to be real, natural. Uh, to do life this way, to share a story like this woman did, and to watch what you do. And so we pray that you'd use us to bring hundreds and thousands of people who currently do not know you in these three valleys that we serve, that we would look back in the coming years, and we would see that we have harvested for eternal life. We would open our eyes. We would see the opportunities, the fields are ripe, and that that we would just kind of do what you've asked us to do, be who we are be lights, and that as we're we're there, that you would use that and introduce people to yourself and convince them and change their life. We pray this in your name. Amen.